What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous, thinks D'Angelo Russell is better than Stephen Curry, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. We're going to do another mailbag uh, for you guys. We do normally try and make Fridays a mailbag day, but sometimes they get derailed by something that happens or if we're doing report card grades and stuff, but we have a second consecutive week of mailbag questions and Andy loves it. I really love it. We know you guys love it. Thank everyone in advance for their questions. Before we get started though, I just want to remind, implore, beg, and plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. I've been noticing that the numbers have been going up all around. We really appreciate that. If you still haven't done it, please search Hardwood Knocks on iTunes throw us a rating, leave us a review, definitely subscribe if you've yet to do that. We can also be found wherever else you're getting your podcasts, including Spotify. If you've done all of this already, we are asking that you throw us a recommendation, referral somewhere, be it a shout out on Twitter. Uh, Andy loves reading those. I like reading those as well. Or if it's just telling someone who's looking for another basketball podcast or the basketball podcast in their lives. But with that, we get to the question and the topics that everyone actually cares about andy how are you i'm great um just eager anxious ready to dive into a another mailbag and that makes we have some really good topical questions too oh yeah that people through our our listeners as always are very tuned into the nba i i dare say we have the best audience uh in the podcast world yeah i I think you could dare to say that you guys I dare. are all just so spectaculario and fantabulous. We can't stand it. Absolutely. Um, let's dive right in with CJ Golson at C-J-G-O-L-S-O-N. Um, and this is kind of funny because you suggested the topic of Kyrie Irving last night when we were talking about recording this morning. And he asks, when will Kyrie Irving stop complaining and start hitting shots? <laughs> the start hitting shots thing is just mean. Uh, yeah. He's been the Celtics' best player this season. I know he had uh, – I mean, he hit a big shot in their loss to the Bucs. Uh, his last – the last play of the game was broken, and he threw up a wild shot that almost kind of went in. But he was injured, and I guess two of his most recent performances have been 9 of 21 and 6 of 21. But I think to say when is he going to start hitting some shots is, is pretty unfair. He was good in the second half last night. Maybe that tweet was sent um, in a rage storm during the first- <laughs> Uh, The topic of him complaining, so I said this the other day, and I say this as someone who, everyone has seen the video by now of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant supposedly talking adamantly in the Spectrum Center hallway over All-Star Weekend, and there's a point where Kyrie Irving holds up two fingers in front of Durant's face, so I was not the cause of this, but one of the things I tweeted out when I first saw it was a screenshot 
of Kyrie Irving holding up the two with the caption, how many max contracts slots do the Knicks have? And so then he's just holding up the fingers too. But the conversation actually devolved into were they talking about free agency? Someone or a few someones were saying they could read lips or read his lips and he was saying like two contracts and that's what they were talking about. The whole thing got out of control. It became a topic on sports talk radio and and TV, along with the fact that Kyrie stayed for Kevin Durant's all-star MVP speech while while looking just at him enviably, it, it seemed. Um, and then they were also in Miami, apparently, over the all-star break. I like I'm I'm all here for the jokes, but there become there comes a point where we can't try and glean something profound, something meaningful from everything. Make the jokes and even talk about it as a joke, but let's not turn this into a a serious topic of conversation. Every everyone, not, a lot of guys in the NBA are friends now, and Kevin Durant has said that he's a really good friend, or that Kyrie Irving's a really good friend before. The same thing with Kyrie and KD. Like on some level, I would hate having my private conversations or everyday conversations uh, recorded. Just I, I know that's an occupational hazard, but that has to be annoying. However, explanation point. They this is this is the game. Like this is just for once yeah. I want to see athletes lean into the humor, like instead of getting mad about it. Just be like, yeah, yeah we're, we're gonna sign in China together next year. Just that if you like lean into the absurdity, however cheesy you think it is or however frustrated you are, I don't know if it goes away quicker, but it's just it would just be cooler. And I know that we failed to talk about the human element of free agency and trades because these guys move their family around, so they're moving themselves around. I get it. But, like, that's just the business at this point. And to get cranky about it, just stop. And I tend to think that Kyrie and Kevin Durant are more cranky than most. I also think that Kyrie tries to be fake woke. Um, yeah. So, again, I'm not completely siding with him. There, But there is a level of absurdity here. And yet, it, he needs to, like, the whole, the media tears apart locker rooms. You guys are all adults. I don't care if you're 21 26 like him or in your 30s if there's a topic that's been reported and you can't go to your teammate and ask about it i mean maybe it's annoying because i'm sure some of these reports are just completely baseless but if you can't face to face talk this out then you're not an adult is just my flat out opinion after that mini rant where it's like i kind of see both sides but Kyrie irving seems like he first of all him and kd seem like the media they don't want the media to do anything um, yeah. And yet, without the media, Kevin Durant doesn't get that big spread in ESPN where they talk literally all things not basketball. So mm. it comes with the platform, and I think that him and, and Kyrie Irving, and for Kevin Durant, I, I do wonder, I feel like people are sometimes too hard on him because he's such a normal person. Like, I feel like his insecurity, um, and if you want to call it crankiness or crotchetiness, can be relatable, and people just don't like seeing that in athletes. Overall, though, Kyrie Irving and the fake wokeness and this whole this isn't fun and blah, 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 it's I, – I, I'm tired. It's tired. It's not wired, Andy. It's tired. <laughs> um, I My thoughts essentially mirror yours. I uh, fully understand why athletes are generally not big fans of the media. Um, if there's anyone – who spent some time in, in sports media and might identify as like a self-loathing sports media person. It's me. <laughs> um, there's a lot about the media in general that just has driven me crazy for years. Uh, but <laughs> so here's, here's my, however, with an exclamation point, um, the media has driven so much of the fame and fortune that these guys have, as you pointed out, 
the fans eat this stuff up, uh, whether whether the players like it or not. Uh, media and reporters and just fans on Twitter are going to continue to talk about this stuff because it's interesting to them. Uh, I, I hadn't really thought about the way you put it, that if they just kind of leaned into it and made jokes about it, it would probably make it a lot better. I think you're right about that. You don't have to lash out with these rants in press conferences. You could you could easily diffuse this situation by just cracking a joke or two um, or even a no comment would probably be a little bit better yeah. than what they've done um, over the last couple of weeks. I, I am a, just sort of tired of their it almost seems like a shtick at this point with, with both of them. Um, Kyrie always has to talk like some kind of a philosopher or something. And then Kevin Durant's just angry every time. <laughs> um, and I, sometimes I wonder if the New York media is, is maybe hyped up a little bit more than, I mean, I don't think it's quite as intense as a lot of people make it out to be with professional athletes. Um, It'll be harder on them than a lot of other markets, but I don't think it's like an unfair media market. Uh, but if they're if they're both in New York and the lights are a little bit brighter on them, although I don't know how they can be much brighter than they are right now, uh, it'll be really interesting to see if they adjust at all. Are they suddenly going to be happy if they're playing together in New York? And um, no, that's going to be the most unhappy super team in the history of the NBA. <laughs> well, that answers that. Um, how do you justify? By the way, how do you what what happens if they both end up with the Knicks? Well, like, it's what, funny because I was just going to say if they're both on the Knicks and let's say they trade for Anthony Davis and then free agency speculation is surrounding him for the entire season because he'll be in the last year of his deal. Well, I, I more so just meant they're it's basically been deny, 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 and then if they end up with the Knicks anyway, yeah, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> and it would make all of these rants and. Um, all, all these speeches and stuff seem so disingenuous and I don't, I don't know if they're backing themselves into a corner or what they've said. I guess they can kind of hedge and say, you know, we said all along it was our decision and no one could force us to go one way or the other. But I mean the whole, the whole thing, it really is just like you said, it's kind of tiresome. Um, I, for one hope that that's the end conclusion of all this. I, I love crazy player movement. I think that team would be pretty dang good, obviously if those two are together. Um, and I actually have another question that leads right into that. If you want to jump into that, unless you had anything else you wanted to say about Kyrie. Um, the only, the only thing I was going to say is that, or maybe it's two quick things is that one, and you kind of touched upon this because there's all this player movement in the NBA when it's, when it's big names that are switching teams, not necessarily the same big names, but when big names are, are relocating fairly frequently, of course, the fan interest is going to be higher. You know what else I was going to say? You just reminded me of a point that I was going to make too. Is they've like, especially Kevin Durant has invited a lot of this by signing all these one-year deals. Um, and him and Kyrie more so than him with his "Ask me July 1st, I don't know anybody's shit" comments. That's fine, <laughs> but you can't think that's going to become well, a non-story when you committed to the Boston Celtics yeah, in October. Right, yes, exactly. <laughs> And <laughs> within months of that other uh, Celtics event where he said, I'm coming back. And the other aspect of this is it's the Warriors' fault a little bit because I think fans are even more interested in what's happening in the offseason because that's like an actual game with high stakes to them since it all, with Kevin Durant and Golden State, it all feels so inevitable that they're going to win the title every year. And I think the Bucks 
Maybe even the Raptors could give them a little legitimate run for their money. A Celtics Warriors series would be fine. There's no one in the West that I would take uh, to to take them more than six games at this point. But that feeling of inevitability, I do think on some level contributes uh, to the soap opera that has become pre-agency. Not even free agency itself, but... Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, the last thing I'll say on it, if you have players in Anthony Davis's of Anthony Davis's stature, who are one at risk of leaving or want to go somewhere else, again, the interest is going to be there. But when you have these guys requesting out of their contracts more than a season in advance of free agency, oh. that's only going to make it worse for everybody else because yep. this player movement thing is becoming such a focus. So again, I can understand the frustration, but I'm not here for this blame the media, you're not doing this for the fans, let's just ball. It doesn't work like that in the NBA, and because it doesn't work like that in the NBA, you're in the position that you're in. So the good is going to come with the bad, but I would I would say that, I, I again, I hope there's nothing like, I would hate to see an NBA player get depressed. Um, we know they battle anxiety, depression, all that. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not entitled to have actual human feelings, which I do think gets lost with some of this Kevin Durant stuff. At the same time, you don't get to play this card as often as they do without just something more meaningful behind these these miniature rants or, or these complaints. Like if you're Kevin Durant, you don't get to not talk for the media to 10 days and then blame an article that came out the day you decided to talk to the media as the impetus behind your silence. It doesn't work yeah. like that. One last thing for me, I guess. Um, and I, I tweeted about this the other day and I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but I'm, I'm also sick of these situations being compared to uh, average Joe in America's job because no one in America works on a contract. A, a minuscule percentage of the population works on a contract. Um, just about everybody in this country is an at-will employee who can be fired for any reason at any time, um, as long as it's not like gender discrimination or and racial that, discrimination. And that, of course, it's, even happens anyway. So, And that's incredibly hard to prove. Um, and... <laughs> They, these guys are lucky enough to be in an industry where they are protected by contracts. They can sign four or five year deals that are guaranteed to pay them for the length of that deal. Um, the few people in America who have, there are some professionals who've risen up the ranks in their field enough to, to become contract employees. If they leave their job, they often have to sign like non-compete agreements that they can't work in that industry in that yep. city with like a year or two years. Um, <laughs> So to to compare what they're going through to what the rest of the population deals with, it's it's just not even the same universe. Um, they're like you said, yes, they have human emotion. They are entitled to uh, react the way that they do. But this they're entitled is entitled to call reporters out, podcasters out, whoever they want out too. I think you know there's definitely that oversensitivity from the media that we have Teflon because we're removed. But again, carry on. I'm agreeing with you. It's just they have yeah, these innate rights it's just yeah um it's just it's just not the same universe and 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 again it's self-inflicted that if 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 they truly want this ultimate freedom that they um that they seem to want they should everyone in the league should just sign one-year contracts every single year and then deal with, <laughs> and then deal with the media scrutiny and speculation that comes with it, like Kevin Durant has had to for the last couple of years. Um, you can't you can't have it both ways. And the, um, the final final thing there too is, and you said this I think in your first response, 
let's like just play this back if um, Kevin Durant doesn't talk to the media for 10 days and then he's asked about the noise and he just says, no comment, I've already commented on that. And then if Kyrie Irving's asked about the Knicks stuff and he just said, no comment, I've already commented on my future, we'll talk about it after the yeah. season's over. What I, what happens if he just says that? Like what happens if he just says that? Yep. It would be, it probably would have blown over the, the 24 hour news cycle that we live in. It's not even 24 hours anymore. It's like a, it's like a 30 minute news cycle. It's like bi-minutely. Yeah. It's, and, <laughs> and the other thing too with Durant is that if Draymond Green's going to call you on your shit, you can't expect <laughs> the fans and media not to. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Um, this is anticipate from- spending that long on it, but. <laughs> At daily swag, D-A-Y-L-E-Y swag. Assuming the Knicks shrug off their curse temporarily and draft Zion, should they keep him or try to trade for an already solidified star to pair with KD Kyrie? So he makes another assumption in there um, (laughs) that the Knicks will have KD and Kyrie. So I guess the question. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just that's the point that we've reached is that that when the Knicks and KD and Kyrie, should they keep Zion, who they have an 86% chance of not getting or trade for someone else? You wrote an article kind of about this, about how the Knicks could – it was the Knicks and the Celtics and their their chances of having Kyrie, KD, and Anthony Davis. Um, he's kind of contemplating this scenario with that question. And I, my, my quick answer is that I think I'd probably keep Zion. Is that crazy? I think Zion needs to stay another year at Duke so that he's properly prepared for the NBA. Wow, that's that. That might be the hottest take in Hardwood Knox history, right there. Uh, that was no, that was just some of the dumbest ass takes I've ever seen after he blew out his shoe. The whole Did oh, he needs to keep playing. That? His profile wouldn't be what it was unless he went to Duke. It's my, my hot take on that situation. Oh. By the way, is that Zion Williamson has earned the right to do whatever Zion Williamson wants to do, and we can all STFU about it. <laughs> I I would agree with that. Um, I would keep him. It's just the and. It's not even just, look, I get that your timeline's different if you have KD and Kyrie, but, explanation point again, to get Anthony Davis, that's the player you're going after with Zion Williamson, you have to send out $21.6 million in salary, about. And Zion Williamson's cap hold, I think, is going to be about $9.7 million on the rookie scale, which, let's think about how far rookie scales have come. So you have to send out another 11.6 or whatever it is, um, $11.9 million. That's basically the rest of your team after you've, um, gotten the max cap space. Like that's assuming if when I crunch the numbers, unless you're getting pay cuts from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, what you're effectively going to be left with if you sign both of them outright to maxes is, um, let's say Williamson, we'll put him in there. Damian Dotson has a 1.6 million guarantee. And you can have Alonzo Trier or Frank Nielakina, and then Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr. And so then to build a trade package for Anthony Davis and forget about the picks or anything, you're going to have to give up, I would assume, Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox, and Zion, and then still more money after that. So, you know, a Mitchell Robinson or a Trier or whoever it is, like Nielakina, whatever's there. And that would effectively leave you with, uh, this is all... Like just the roundabout way of saying Davis, Durant, Irving, Mitchell Robinson, and maybe Dotson. <laughs> That's then, like no. I would rather have the depth, and I know that youth and experience and blah 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 blah. But I don't know if Zion he he looks like he's going to be this transcendent talent to yeah. 
it's not that Davis isn't worth it. It's that I think we've seen that super teams start to crack when they don't have the requisite depth. We saw it in Miami with LeBron. We saw it in Cleveland with LeBron. Common denominator there, but whatever. Uh, Even the Warriors now, they look great because they have so much star power, but their bench isn't fantastic. If they don't luck into DeMarcus Cousins, think about what their depth looked like. And I know he's a starter, but the point stands. And uh, I think Zion, like, obviously, it's there's just about anybody in the league would fit well next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But I like the fit with Zion there, a guy who's just constantly putting pressure on the rim. And your other two best players, um, I mean, they obviously can get to the rim too, but they're deadly from the perimeter. So you can keep that area kind of open for Zion Williamson to do what he's, he does best. I whether it's the Knicks or whoever else, and you guys talked about this on that last episode with Arjun, um, just about all the different landing spots for Zion. He's going to be really, really fun to watch next season, assuming he gets some thicker Nikes. <laughs> my may call, yeah, he needs to switch to Puma or something. But yes. yeah. my, my main culpa for that podcast was I totally underrated the fit with the Suns, and I'm not sure what I was thinking in the moment. Not the cleanest fit, I don't think, but I would actually like to see him there. There, there are very few teams who have a shot at him that wouldn't, like instantly be twice as fun if he's there. Yeah. Um, I think you... still is uh, Zion at power forward and John Collins at center in Atlanta. That would be a blast. Yeah, the Atlanta me. is my favorite fit by far. What would you, to the mailbag question, What we, we know what we think the Knicks should do in that situation. Do you think if they land Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Zion Williamson that Zion starts the season with the Knicks? Um. I'm surprised you have to think this hard about it, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'll say yes. Really? Yeah, because I know they would try to go for Anthony Davis. Um, oh, and now the, the more that I think about it, I'm like, well, would New Orleans be able to turn that offer down? Well, then no, you can't. Yeah, because it's not. I mean, even if you're low on Dennis Smith Jr. and Kevin Knox, you effectively have to get both of them to make the money work along with Zion Williamson. I just don't know how you turn that down. Zion has clearly more trade value than Jason Tatum, right? I'm going to say yes. I think he does. It's close, though, because because Tatum's already proven himself in the NBA, but having the extra two years of Zion under team control... And even if you think Tatum is going to stay, and he probably would in New Orleans, guys, re- guys of his level rarely leave um, before their rookie extensions. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would say yes, but I don't think it's. It definitely blows the Lakers' offer out of the water. It destroys whatever any other team is offering as well, whether it's the Raptors with Siakam and Ananobi and every pick that they have. I can't wait for uh, Danny Ainge to play hardball and not even offer Jason Tatum. This Could summer. you really? I know it's kind of like. That might be ass hattery, but uh, not, first of all, I'm cussing too much in this podcast. It's Friday. <laughs> I need a break. Um, could you blame him if he did? If you're looking at the Lakers package and you really don't think that, yeah. like, what if they don't make the playoffs or they just get steamrolled in the playoffs and all the their four best prospects just suck? I couldn't necessarily blame Danny Ainge. It'd be no. it would seem big shady because you would assume that. Boston promised them Tatum, which is why they waited. At the same time, that wasn't really the reporting. It was that they talked about it. And I can't imagine yeah. Ainge would have made any promises. I would hope not, yeah. You probably shouldn't guarantee that. Um, all I right, do I hope, another... Sorry, I do hope they do play hard. I hope the Knicks get Zion. I hope the Celtics won't trade Tatum. And that 
Or actually, I don't even think the Knicks need Zion in this situation, but if the Celtics aren't including Tatum, um, I just feel like that really opens the trade landscape for Anthony Davis more. Yeah. Like, it makes the Lakers package look better. It makes the Knicks' package, if they don't have Zion, look better. It makes whatever a dark horse might come in and offer look a little bit better. Yeah, it'll probably end up being some random team that nobody expected, as is often the case in these situations. Um, at Ed Holiday asks, can you compare Mitchell Robinson to Gobert? And I just went ahead and did that, statistically. Um, I almost wrote that when I was writing about Young Cores by saying, we need to wait before we compare Mitchell Robinson to a not-as-lanky Rudy Gobert. <laughs> um, his numbers are insane this season. And I'm, I'm sure Knicks fans are kind of keyed into that, but I'm not sure the rest of uh, NBA fandom is. In his age 20 season, Mitchell Robinson's averaging 12.4 points, nine and a half rebounds, 4.3 blocks, 1.4 steals and 1.1 assists um, per 75 team possessions, 679 true shooting percentage and a 6.1 box plus minus. Um, Rudy Gobert's first two seasons, which were age 21 and 22, so we're already looking at a player who's older than Mitchell Robinson is now. 12.1 points, uh, pretty close to the 12.4 of Robinson. 14.3 rebounds. There's the big difference there. Five more rebounds than Robinson. Three and a half blocks, uh, 1.1 steals and 1.8 assists. Uh, identical win shares per 75 possessions. Um, Gobert's true shooting percentage is quite a bit lower, 608. And his box plus minus is 4.1. Um, so... If, <laughs> Like you said, it's probably too early to to really make this comparison. Um, but at the same time, I, I think there are some strengths. Mitchell, I, Mitchell Robinson's probably a little bit more bouncy um, than Rudy Gobert is. Uh, he's, he's on track to be really a great prototypical rim-rolling five. And I was thinking when you, when you were laying out the salary cap scenarios for the Knicks, if they get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and one of the pieces left over is Mitchell Robinson, that's a great fit too. If you're starting front court, forget about Zion. If you're starting four is Kevin Durant and you're starting five is Mitchell Robinson. That's, that's instantly one of the most uh, interesting front courts in the NBA to me. Uh, he's, <laughs> he is somewhat quietly having a really, really good rookie season. Yeah. And I don't know if it's more impressive that, He's doing this in his rookie season because Gobert, I don't even think he played 500 minutes in his rookie season in Utah. No. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I, I mean, it's still too, it's what, what is his impact going to look like on a really good team? And we're getting ahead of ourselves there, but that isn't, I thought about that the other day and I thought it was an interesting comparison. I also, and I know you've watched him. I'm actually surprised that Mitchell Robinson isn't longer. I don't know if it's because when you compare it to Rudy Gobert's like 10 foot wingspan or whatever it is. Seven nine that it just looks smaller, but I, I was actually shocked that Mitchell Robinson wasn't longer because it seems like he's he's I, what what is his wingspan listed at? I think is what was it seven four? It says seven four. Yeah, then, just a quick Google search. So it's I he seems longer, but um, it's he and he's one of those guys. And Rudy Gobert and is good at this too. Seven what, four to seven nine is a pretty big difference, to be fair. Yeah, um, but they both are, and I might say that. But that's because Mitchell Robinson takes more risks and is not as high IQ defender yet. But for like when you look at bigs and their ability to block jump shots and also try and retain possession on their blocks, uh, Mitchell Robinson has that has that vibe about him, like like Rudy Gobert does. And Rudy Gobert is one of the best in the league at blocking shots outside of the restricted area. 
Um, if you look at pbplaybyplaystats.com, he's averaging almost a block um, from short mid-range area per 36 minutes, which is a really good number. So Mitchell Robinson seems like he has that kind of potential. And I, I looked this up while you were talking because I knew Rudy Gobert's numbers from writing about him the other day. Uh, Mitchell Robinson's aren't in there, but I could see him being uh, sort of right up there eventually on that type of level. How has no one told me about playbyplaystats.com yet? Oh, you haven't? That's been around for a while. It's it's pretty useful. I don't think all the players are in there, but uh, if you go to Rudy Gobert's page, you can look at how many three-point shots he's blocked and stuff. Like, I like numbers like that. It just further proves that. And if there's a team out there, I don't know if we have any, like, team employees that, that listen to us. I would assume probably not. But uh, And you want to give us access to proprietary data <laughs> to help us build up your team. We are all for it. Which yeah. is another thing I was thinking about. I would love to know who the most or closest to famous or well-known Hardwood Knox listener is. Like if we just have someone secretly who has like 2 million followers on Twitter who listens to us. So if you're out there, feel free to drop us a line and let us know. Yeah, and and feel free to tweet out this episode to your 2 million followers. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, I mean, you know the Kardashians listen to us. That's a given. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, let's get Kanye on this. Um, oh, please no. <laughs> <laughs> At Rashad, A-L-A-I-Y-A-N, asks, would you rather have Giannis or AD for the next five years? Is it weird that I don't even think this is a question anymore? I didn't have to think about this at all. Yeah, me neither. It's Giannis. Yeah. Um, Giannis is a year younger. They both have absurd numbers, so it's probably useless to put them up side by side. but Giannis is a year younger and is comfortably better in box plus minus this season, way better in win shares for 48. Uh, tops Anthony Davis in rebounding percentage, which I'm not sure a lot of people would realize. And he almost doubles Davis's assist percentage, which that one is huge to me. Um, because you can you can basically run Giannis at point guard. Um, he, he is truly a one through five. I, <laughs> we've had a few guys in the history of the NBA that are like, can play all five positions. He is absolutely in that group. Um, and I think the more we lean into like the positionless era, the better or the more valuable Giannis is. Um, I'm, I'm like you, when I read this question, I, I didn't hesitate at all. It's clearly Giannis for me. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the control he has over the offense is like, as, as you sort of alluded to, that's, that's big. And also since basically the new year, on 2.6 three-point attempts per game, Giannis is shooting 35.1% from beyond the arc. That, which is just insane. If he, if that, if that's, like, let's just say that's the normal, and it just, it doesn't reveal itself every game, but it's like this, which the span I think is 22 games or whatever it is. That's, it's over. Like, if that's, yeah. if this is the, if it evens out to where you look at any 20-game sample size and Giannis is shooting 34 35% from three on more than two attempts per game or close to three attempts per 36 minutes, it, it's done. It's over. Yeah. Do you think he's the best player in the NBA right now? <sighs> yeah. I just, I it's so tough to do rankings. Like when we did both or all three of us, you, Adam Fromell and I did them at midseason. And it was like those three were tough to decipher. You try and take into account LeBron's track record. You have Steph. It's really hard to sort them. And I think it's gone a tug of war between James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And even in the MVP MVP discussion, I actually think James Harden is going to win. I think the correct pick is Giannis. Is where I'm at as of now. That is subject to change in the next three minutes. 
I think if I think if Milwaukee gets to mid sixties and Giannis keeps this up, and I don't think there's any reason to believe that he won't, um, I think he probably gets it. That, he would. I think he deserves it more than anyone right now. Just looking at his wire to wire body of work. Like if, because I think there's a chance that Houston is like mid to high forties. So you're looking at like a fifteen to twenty win difference um, in teams, and I I think they're probably still a lot of. There's going to be a lot of voters that just vote points, which is James Harden, obviously. Andrew but I think Wiggins is going to get some votes then, huh? <laughs> there's also going to be a group who uses the old best player on the best team argument, um, and that's that's clearly Giannis. So uh, it's going to be a really really interesting. MVP race and Paul George is snuck in there. His net rating swing yeah, is the crazy. league, and it's just it's out of yeah. control. And normally, that's without like a filter. So it's like, yeah. Normally, when you when you look at those types of net rating swings, there's always going to be that small sample person that that sort of creeps in to to that discussion. But no, like Paul yeah. George is just. I'm I'm trying to look up the numbers right now, but it's not loading as quickly. He's just. He's in the league lead, and oh, they did just show up. And so um, his net rating differential is 22.2 points per 100 possessions. So Oklahoma City is effectively 22.2 points per 100 possessions better. The two people behind him are Quincy Acey, who's played a whopping 103 minutes, and Raul Neto, who's played 217 minutes. It's like that he's standing out in that field is crazy. Raul Neto's the GOAT. Um, I have a question that... uh applies to that most recent conversation um and paul george has he he has kind of become the presumptive number three and i totally get it the net rating swing is crazy but this is a question from rob at i am real rob why isn't Jokic being mentioned in mvp talk because he's not a superstar (laughs) just kidding Uh, i don't think Jokic's game translates to the mvp conversation and i don't think that's necessarily right he should definitely be a top five candidate in my book when you look at the nuggets being number two in the west right now you look at the fact they've navigated so many injuries it's just that he doesn't he's not this even when we're talking about the guys who aren't winning based on points per game uh Jokic doesn't even like cross that threshold for them like a paul george who's actually been quietly ridiculous as a scorer but or Giannis Antetokounmpo. so i don't think that translates and there's still this stigma and it's definitely wrong for the most part but where he has those nights where he's not gonna take even 12 shots or he's not averaging uh 15 shots a game i actually don't know what his average is this season uh for for shot attempts but it's it's 15 per game and that just seems you know it's probably just a little bit low and there's still those random nights where it doesn't seem that he looks to get his own. And I, I do think that it, that impacts him and whether that's right or wrong, it's, you know, eight of 13 is an impressive clip. Uh, but when you have someone else who's just going to jack up like twice as many shots routinely, it, I feel like that he loses a little bit of luster there. Yeah. He, he definitely doesn't fit the typical narrative. Um, I'm is looking he fourth at fourth for you right now though, or do you have like Kevin Durant there? He is um, – I would put him in the same tier as Paul George. I, I think tier one is Giannis and Harden. Tier two is probably Jokic and Paul George. Um, I think KD is in there. I, I was going to say that's probably it, but I could hear an argument for KD and maybe even Curry being in that tier. Um, 
but you're right. I mean, he just doesn't have a game that the typical MVP voter is going to reward. I'm looking at basketball references, MVP probability. Um, right now it has Giannis as a 53.1% chance, uh, James Harden, 13.7%. And on their model, Nikola Jokic is third at oh, wow. 5%. But of course their model only looks at just raw numbers. Right. Uh, and obviously 20.4 points, 10.6 rebounds and 7.7 assists in fewer than 32 minutes per game is just insane. Um, his team's winning percentage is significantly better than, than James Harden's team. Um, so he's got a lot going in his favor, but we know that, uh, voters don't vote purely on numbers. And so <laughs> there's even Paul George has a, a more MVP sort of friendly narrative following him than Nikola Jokic does. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this list, and I wouldn't have thought of it until you brought it up, but he's taken, the list goes 10 players deep. Um, so just to finish it out, Kevin Durant's fourth, Kawhi Leonard is fifth, Paul George is sixth here, which is a little surprising. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Curry, seven, Anthony Davis, eight, Joel Embiid, nine, Russell Westbrook, 10. Um, Everyone on here shoots at least 17 shots per game, except for Jokic. He's at 15.2. The two lowest on the whole list, which is interesting for field goal attempts per game, is Giannis Antetokounmpo at 17.3 and Nikola Jokic at 15.2. So take that for what it's worth. Like you said, he's just different. He, He doesn't soak up a ton of the offense. There are games where it's clear that he would much rather pass to his teammates and get them involved than get his own shot. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure MVP voters are ready to reward that yet. Yeah. it's not even, maybe you can make the case that some of the players around him have just been too good. Maybe that takes away from his case, but it's really not that type of situation. Denver has a lot of surprises. Um, and they are a net plus per 100 possessions when he's off the court. They're not better, but they're still above water. But mm-hmm. that's, that's effectively the same situation as Milwaukee. Uh, there have been some surprises there, and they're still a net plus without Giannis in the court, plus 3.5 points per 100 possessions. And it's the, to a lesser degree, you can clearly tell that there's less talent in Houston, but they're like a plus 3.3 points per 100 possessions with Harden and plus 1.7 without him. So it's like that argument doesn't even really work mm-hmm. against him. It, it it really, as you just outlined, it comes down to that, where his highlights are going to be not dunks or step-back contested threes. They're going to be these passes. Yeah. Um and I, I just, yeah, like you said, I don't, I'm not sure voters are ready to reward his game yet. Um, all right, let me move on to another question. This one is from Clayson Searle at C-L-A-Y-S-O-N underscore S-E-A-R-L-E. Uh, most underrated free agents this summer. Oof. And if, if you want to pull up a list or something, I have a couple that I think are interesting it's an interesting question too because it the talent really does sort of drop off after the top like 10 or 12 guys it's you know it gets weird because demarcus cousins could be in that conversation and and al horford if he if he opts out could be in that conversation isn't like half the league free agents too i think it's over 40 percent was the number that that came out it's crazy so uh the first name that kind of sprang to mind for me and Maybe it's underrated in the sense of how much money he could end up commanding on the open market, but Marcus Morris, having a, cooled off a little bit recently, but having a hell of a season 
in Boston. I mean, he's the guy that they turn to defend Giannis Antetokounmpo at points during games. He shot a good clip from three. He has some some pull-up verve to his game. Uh, his co- next contract is going to be fascinating. And then two other ones that immediately stand out to me would be Dorian Finney-Smith and, and Maxi Kleba in Dallas. Those They're both restricted free agents, and I think that there's been some talk about them. I think, though, that we're not going to see the market necessarily reflect that. And they're two guys. Kaliba is sort of a floor stretcher and, and really good rim protector. And then Dorian Finney-Smith can really handle a lot of different defensive assignments and shooting close to league average from three this year, I believe. So so those are those are three names that spring to mind for me. You probably answered this better than I did because um, I think those are a little more <clears throat> off the radar. But I, I, I looked at Nikola Vucevic. Um, he in that if you sort everybody by the average of their ranks and catch all metrics, which I obviously do on Twitter a couple times a week, he's been top ten to fifteen all season long. Um, and we we thought centers were dying off a few years ago, but I think they've kind of adapted and now they're like these hubs on offense. And I think he has that ability to be sort of a distributor. Um, and they're. Shout out to centers for preserving their uh, NBA life. He, he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He's a lot better defensively than he was a couple years ago. He's not Rudy Gobert, obviously, but you're not going to get like played off the floor um, with his defense. So he's he's a guy who is not going to be mentioned in that top tier of free agents, and he shouldn't be, but he could really help somebody this season. And, and we've talked about it a few times on here. Orlando might be at a point where they just need to re-sign him. Um, because I'm not sure they're going to be able to replace what he's done for them the last couple of years. Another one I picked was D'Angelo Russell, um, who's obviously talked about a lot. Underrated? He got a, he, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Here, the, the, This is the genesis of my poll that I put up last night. Um, most people are talking about Kemba Walker as, as sort of a top-tier point guard for this free agent class. I'm pretty sure I would rather sign D'Angelo Russell. Um, he's 22 years old. I, I, I don't think people understand how young he is still. He's six foot five, great size for a point guard. Um, there are major questions defensively. He, he's still not drawing fouls, so his true shooting percentage is too low. But he's averaging on like a per possession basis, like 25 points and eight assists a game as a 22 year old. Um, and he can play multiple positions. He's really interesting to me. Um, this is all going to be for not probably because I think whatever he signs in the open market, Brooklyn's just going to match. Uh, and maybe they resign him before he can even get out to the open market. But I think these picks that I'm making are more relative to like um, the tier that they're currently in. I, I think they're a little bit better than people realize. I also threw Julius Randle in there. Uh, he's another guy that struggles defensively, but he's, I don't, I don't know how many people realize he's averaging like 20, 10 and three this season. And I think he's a guy that can probably play a couple positions too. Um, he's a, he's a good candidate for a small ball five. Um, obviously I, I think a lot of people could probably push back and say, well, these guys might actually be overrated. Um, but I, I, I think all these guys could be pretty good for their, their next teams. Yeah, there is, and I mean, I guess I was thinking more like deep cuts, but um, certainly Vucevic is is on there. I don't know if I'd go Russell, but the the question that you posed about would you rather pay max money to 
D'Angelo Russell and Kemba Walker, when you look at, you know, maybe not the first year of that deal or maybe the first two years, but the back ends, there's there's a really good case to be made for D.A.R., especially, as you pointed out, his height, his age. So that's an interesting topic. Other names that kind of stood out to me, though, if we were going deeper cuts, um, Garrett Temple, I think he can help a good team. Thomas Sadoransky is one. He's going to be a restricted I, free agent. I thought about Sadoransky, but he's – and I probably should have put Russell in this same group, but he's the one that I, I'm pretty sure Washington will just match what he gets. Rajon Holmes could be interesting, too. Just because there's eight and already in Phoenix, yeah. I know we're not seeing bigs get a ton of money. Uh, Noah Vonley is one that I'm looking at because non-bird free agent for the Knicks. And here's the stat for you: here's every player this season uh, per 36 minutes to be averaging at least two assists, ten rebounds, one steal, one made three pointer, and one block. Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Vucevic, and Noah Vonley. Wow. So substantially fewer minutes for for Vonley, yeah. but he's just he's kind of been this nice gap filler for New York, and I think he's someone who could probably also end up helping a a really good team. And so once the superstar names start to settle, there there are, there are a few guys I guess that could um, really do some damage. Oh, Bojan Bogdanovic is going to be that's another fascinating study because he's having a hell of a year in Indiana, and I don't think. You know, the Pacers still have a top five record in the NBA, and no one's talking about them anymore because Oladipo's injured. But he's, you know, and Thaddeus Young too, but more so Bogdanovich, just shooting the hell out of the ball. He's been mm-hmm. better defensively this year. Um, He can create his own shot. That's another name. I don't know if he'll be, after his next contract, he won't be underrated anymore because I think he's going to get uh, some nice money, or maybe, maybe it'll be a short-term deal that overpays him. And that's, you know, if your team looking for a placeholder and you just want to throw a ton of money, at one guy, like the, that's one of the names that would stand out to me. Like here, come play for us and we'll just give you $18 million for one year or something like that, or even more. Um, this is another free agency question. And I braced you for this one. Um, at carry champion. If KD leaves the warriors, what are realistic options to replace him as starting small forward? How much can they spend on a free agent? Assuming they resign clay. When you, <laughs> I mean, they can't, is they they just it's they're going to be without Kevin Durant and you factor in Clay Thompson's cap hold they're they blow past um, or they're right at the luxury tax line. Um, assuming they still carry Kevon Looney's hold and all that, uh, you can get you can waive Sean Livingston and that gives you some wiggle room, but you're still looking at being a luxury tax team without Kevin Durant, and so you have that taxpayers mid level exception that you can go out and use. I, I don't know the names that you go after specifically because the market really has to dictate what happens, but I think the best way for them to replace him or try to approximate some of the loss they would incur offensively, just surround Steph and Clay and Dre with a ton of shooters. You know, whether it's, I don't know what Wayne Ellington's going to cost. Reggie Bulk is certainly going to be out of their price range. Uh, how much are Trevor Ariza and Wes Matthews going to cost might be names that they look at to me, that would be the best course of action for them short of Kevin Durant deciding, Hey, I'm going to opt in and I want to go to Boston. In which case you could probably get Gordon Hayward in that situation. What is the mid, what is, what's is the taxpayer mid level? Like 5 million bucks, maybe I think it's five and a half million next year. I'll, I'll double check that really quickly, but um, it's, they can't even do a sign and trade with the ramp because the hard cap situation is just, it gets, it gets really iffy there yeah. too. Um, 
Maybe you can get a guy who's worth more than five and a half million to sign the taxpayers mid-level just because he gets to play with the Warriors and he gets to play with Stephen Curry. Um, Wes Matthews is an interesting name you just threw out. 5.7 million is that taxpayer mid-level next year. Whoever they get is obviously going to be a massive downgrade from Kevin Durant, um, assuming he leaves. They're, they're, they're just going to be in a tough situation if he goes. But if you do get a guy who can just sort of space the floor and, and hit high 30s to low 40s from three, you can you can get fairly close to what they were before Durant, I think. Um, Harrison Barnes... He was better with the Warriors than he's been with the Mavericks, uh, in my opinion. And he was he was able to play multiple positions, which was good. I don't know if you can trust Wes Matthews to be a three slash four, kind of like Harrison Barnes was. Um, but if the end result is Stephen Curry is back to like 2015-16 Stephen Curry, then they're probably okay. Um, obviously, they prefer to have Kevin Durant. But uh, yeah, they're, they're just going to be in a little bit of a tight situation if he leaves. Yeah, they might. I just it's, they're going to have to feast on minimum guys. Maybe you know what is Luke Bamute going to cost? I don't think you want him playing the three. Really, I would rather have him at the four. But he hasn't. He's been so unhealthy this season that maybe he's someone whose value just craters. Uh, what is David Waba going to cost? He's someone who at least can defend really big defensively, though he's on the shorter side at six four. There are names, but there's nothing. And maybe someone will reveal himself, kind of like not DeMarcus Cousins level, but when he came out and just took their taxpayers mid-level this season, maybe there's someone like that out there uh, next year. You know, uh, looking at an offensive standpoint, imagine Tyreek Evans just saying, screw it, I'm going to play for the taxpayers mid-level for them. Might be something interesting. I agree. Um, you want to rapid fire a few before we wrap up? Yeah, let's do it. Um at S L O V E zero zero three two three two asks, do you agree that James Harden is better than Kobe Bryant? Yes. Um, statistically, it's not close. It, both regular season and playoff numbers, Harden uh, in a landslide is better statistically than Kobe. And I think a lot of people will obviously make the rings argument, but I think it's pretty easy to ask what would Harden have done with Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I also think it's easy to say that. James Harden doesn't have any rape allegations against him either, but that's probably... That helps. Yeah. Um, at Jack O. Bram. Um, oh, do you have any stat metric uh, on catch-all performance? I'll actually tweet this one at him, but Jacob Goldstein's player impact plus minus actually puts a um, number value, like dollar value, to how much value uh, every player has added, which is interesting to me. Um, at Metro Yo-Yo 206, who is winning most improved player this year? I know De'Aaron, I know people say De'Aaron Fox is going to run away with the award, and I wouldn't give too much pushback against it except for the notion I'm against giving it to sophomores. Just you yeah. expect that's when you're supposed to make the biggest leap. I mean, he's he's clearly the most improved player in the NBA, but I I kind of like it's harder to make a leap from that, you know, from where he is to that next level getting from top 30 to top 20 than it is mm -hmm. to get from top, you know, let's say 75 to top 30. Um, other Siakam, than, interesting one. What's that? Pascal Siakam is an interesting one. Yep. He's interesting. Uh, Sabonis is still in that conversation. Yeah. I don't know who else would you, who would you else would you put in that conversation? I thought it was going to be Brandon Ingram at the beginning of the year that, uh, 
That didn't go so I well. Asked this question. Um, he called D'Angelo Russell, which I think is an interesting one. Yeah, that's um, an interesting one. I, it, it's a tough call. I, I didn't put Sabonis on my list. He should be on there too. Um, I, I'm going to go with Siakam at the moment. Do you think De'Aaron Fox is going to win it, though? You know, there's another name that could really be thrown in there. And maybe he hasn't necessarily played enough this year yet. Derek Rose. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, you're probably on something there. Um, offensively, he's been, who was it that posted the um, anonymous, like the faceless numbers of him and his MVP season? Adam Spinella. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it wasn't far off offensively to what he did as an MVP um on like a permanent basis so yeah he's he's had a pretty good season um all right this this last one is special for you from at motley underscore brew b-r-u-e hey man what's boban's per 36 stats over his career (laughs) um better than kareem abdul jabbar's (laughs) boban marjanovic 23.6 points 15.1 rebounds 1.9 assists 1.6 blocks 0.9 steals and 0.203 win shares per 75 team possessions, 645 true, true shooting percentage, and one and a half bucks plus minus. And uh, he's he's playing the Lou Gehrig to Joel Embiid's Wally Pip this week. So. <laughs> uh, and if there's nothing else, I think that's a great. Do place. you think Tobias Harris should take a slight <laughs> discount so that Philly will resign Boban? It's funny. Um, <laughs> people keep talking about. Especially jazz fans are like, hey, we can we can get Tobias Harris um, this summer. But I honestly had the thought, like, if you're going to get Tobias, you better make sure you have enough cap space for Boban, too. <laughs> because we cannot split those two up. Um, Even if he doesn't have a market, which I think he should have a market, he needs somehow it needs to have money back in Philly. He can't, we can't, because I'm assuming they're going to pay Tobias. He has to be back in Philly. Yeah. Um, th- those two need to stay together for the rest of their careers. Um, if there's nothing else, I I just want to thank everybody as always for the questions. Um, again, you're the best, uh, listening audience in the, uh, vast podcast world. So, uh, add that feather to your caps. Um, and thank you for all the questions as always rate review and subscribe to the show. And if you've already done those things, uh, share it with your family and friends, we would sincerely appreciate that. Uh, if you want to talk to us on Twitter, Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. And as always, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.